and this was in New York, and they said, are you going to stay over tonight, Daddy? You know, they thought I was visiting. They didn't know I lived with them anymore. They assumed, you know, as, as preschoolers that I just no longer lived with them. I was gone too long. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 Knows. I have got a great, great human being for you today. His name is Jerry Shea, and I cannot seem to find anyone who has come in contact with him that has anything but love for the guy. He is a real gentleman. But before I get to Jerry, I want to thank all of you for the positive and engaged feedback on the last few solo episodes we've brought you. I love that these topics are resonating with you, helping in some way. That's really the point here to not only entertain you, but hopefully make the dime drop for you on topics that you may be struggling with. And I want to share this recent five-star review we got the other day from UnPhD. It says, The Real Deal. 10,000 No's is something I look forward to every week. Del Negro does an excellent job of eliciting a full story from his guests and from himself about adversity and challenges in life. It's done artfully and with great authenticity. I listen to hundreds of podcasts, and this is a real standout, motivational and genuine, excellent effort and a force as a multifaceted newcomer to the podcast world. Thanks. Thank you, UnPhD. Um, the rest of you, if you haven't left a review and you are, are feeling like this is helping you, this show in some way, or you dig it, you want people to see it, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That just gives us more visibility. You know, you're scrolling around, you want to see that people are actually listening and engaged with the show. And uh, we appreciate it. I know it takes a few minutes or a minute, whatever it is. Really appreciate it if you want to consider it. Okay, Jerry Shea, yet another Boston College alum. He was part of my trio of interviews when I spoke on campus last fall. We've just delayed the release a little. There's so much that you're going to love about him, but here's the gist of what you need to know before we get into the conversation. You know how I always say your story isn't over? Jerry's story exemplifies that. When he came out of NYU's acting program, he got work immediately. He did Shakespeare in the Park, which is no easy feat. You'll hear about that. He worked like crazy, including on Stephen Sondheim's Passions, for which he was nominated for a Tony Award. Unlike most actors, getting work wasn't the problem. Jerry's crisis came from getting so much work that he feared he'd lose out on the thing he wanted most, which was to be there as a dad for his kids and a husband for his wife. So he left the business, but the fire never left him. And about 20 years later, in a rare instance of the business coming back to someone, he was offered the series regular role of Hank Signa on Showtime City on a Hill. He's a fan favorite, an onset favorite. Both were saddened when his character, Hank Signet, was killed toward the end of the first season. Sorry, spoiler alert. And for me, I'm just happy that it led to me meeting this prince of a guy. Here he is, Jerry Shea. You and I met on City on a Hill. You were awesome. If anybody oh, watched thanks, the man. show, Hank Signa, uh, I... I don't know. Can I do spoiler alert? I guess spoiler alert. <laughs> at this point, you at were, this point, most people know. Yeah. You were the conscience of the show. And that's how uh, Chuck McLean described it, is you were the conscience of the show. And so uh, sadly for you, for me, for everybody there, because everybody loved you, you, your character gets killed at the end of the season. But that is what really, like, you're the heart of the season. Good guy. It just... It, it, my my um, experience of you actually started right before I met you because I went for my mm -hmm. fitting and they were like, oh, have you met Jerry? Do you know Jerry? He went to BC and 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 they loved you. Like oh, everybody to a person loved you on oh, that set. Like when your name comes up, people's eyes light up. And that's, that's nice and that's also the role that you played was you you were really 
funny and subtle. And I kept texting you throughout the season because <laughs> yeah, you, you managed to squeeze a lot of humor into just like a look, a, a, a subtle a look, an eye roll or whatever, just like a really like, you know, kind of sarcastic little like drop a little thing about Jackie Rohr or whatever it was <laughs> and then walk out of the room. Um, and so it's it's almost surprising because I know some of your background, which I want to get to your your mm-hmm. theater when you get out of out of BC. But talk to us about f- first. I'd love to hear how the city on a hill came about because I I understood it. You were almost you weren't out of the business, but you were up here. I mean, what, yeah, how did this I actually all... was completely out of the completely business. completely out of the business. Out of the business. If, you know, I had I had been. Uh, I mean, to go way far back is is uh, I'd have to do to explain it. But I, I basically was out for two decades. Uh, I had done one thing. A friend uh, or someone who was a theater director uh, reached out to me to do a, a concert at Lincoln Center for a, um, for Secret Garden. It's a musical, twenty-five years old, and they wanted to have. It was actually a really a cast of all the heavy hitters, the current stars of Broadway, and me. <laughs> you know, they uh, they dug me up uh, to do that about four years ago, and it was just such a treat to be able to do it. It was sort of a return to the stage after after twenty years, and and uh, but I I had. Um, Left it years before that, just to you know, my kids were about four years old, three, four years old, and I, I was traveling for three, four months at a time, and I, I came home one day, and my kids had, uh, they were uh, up it was like ten, ten thirty at night. The car drops me off at the house. I usually, I, I always have a guitar with me in my bag. I hadn't seen them for three and a half to four months, and they, uh, Elaine, my wife, let them stay up. Uh, to to see me when I get home, and this is in New York, and they said, "Are you going to stay over tonight, Daddy?" You know, they thought I was visiting. They didn't know I lived with them anymore. They assumed, you know, as, as preschoolers, that I just no longer lived with them. I was gone too long, and that to me, uh, on the spot, I just said, "I'm never going to do it again." And and uh, I had been working steadily in theater, doing some film, some TV, but a lot of theater, which takes you away for long periods too. Um, and was and, it mostly musical theater, or there was uh, uh, a lot of the stuff that sort of the bigger stuff was musical because it's just you know the contracts are bigger, the, the money's there for for the bigger productions. Uh, so yes, yeah, things that were either pre Broadway or on Broadway, and I do regional theater as well. Uh, I was out in, on a pre Broadway lap of of a show at the time out in San Francisco, coming back in. And after that period of time, you know, I, I, I learned a lot just about sort of, the, you know, what kind of a, a family guy I want to be. And I want to be a husband. I want to be a father. And and that was my impetus to to really uh, make some changes. And I told my agents I am not going to travel again like that. Um, short periods of time to go out and take care of business and, 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 and stay in the business, sure, if that can happen. But if it comes down to working uh, traveling to work to stay active uh, or not, I, I was going to choose staying home. So for me, you know, it really put uh, uh, a damper. I think you know my agent, I'm sure wasn't <laughs> wasn't so happy with that decision, but it was a firm one I had, and, and eventually it became clear that I was not going to um, you know stay busy, um, and I wanted to be around Elaine and the kids, and I just said I'm I'm going to I'm going to step out of this business, and and I picked up a phone, called friends, I had you know very well connected friends in state government, and and I had uh, one in particular who uh, helped me get some work uh, doing communications for the state, and then I was asked to come to the governor's office, and, and eventually as a deputy chief of staff for Paul Salucci, who was a really a really great guy uh, who was governor at the time, and. Uh, I oh, stayed in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah sorry. Uh, so you moved. You yeah, guys moved, moved back home. New York. Yeah, How long? We were in Harrison, New York, and okay. I was there about ten years. My wife was there just a little bit after that. We were married. Oh, about that it. long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so if grad school and then several years in the business there and kind of jobbing around the country to do different things. Um, but you know, it was just it was just a matter of you know, do I want to help raise my kids or not? Um, and that was a decision I made then, and I, I it was a really good one for me. Um, some people are miserable <laughs> with that decision. I know people who do have to make it all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, and it wasn't an easy road, so I missed the stuff, but I just didn't talk about it, put it out on my mind and got to work uh, in different ways. Yeah. Uh, state and I got to meet your family. At the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they were thrilled to meet you all too. All grown yeah, up. Yeah. And, yeah. 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 My was, kids are 25 it's now. pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. And so it's, so it's cool that you, not only did you come back, but it, that, that the 
I love it because it sounds like the business pulled you back and it pulled you back for a great job. It it's did, not like yeah, you got called yeah. back to go do, you know, a Triscuit commercial. <laughs> you, <laughs> hey, you that would have been called, fun too. That would have been fun too. I'm not putting down Triscuit <laughs> I got a box of those on my shelf. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll take a Triscuit yeah. commercial. But I mean, you got called back to go do this really cool, you, you know, Showtime, Kevin Bacon, Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. It's it's a cool show to be a part yeah, of. You and couldn't, you were a you big couldn't, part of it. Uh, oh, thanks, man. And, Thank you. And so, so how did that, was that through relationships? Was that, it, did it you was. audition? Did you hear about yeah. it? What, what, what I had, I had heard about it. You know, Jimmy Cummings, who was in the show, plays Tommy Hayes, one of the bad guys, I'm going to say that. Yeah. Uh, he uh, is a childhood friend. He grew up right around, I could throw a rock at his bedroom window if I wanted to. Not that I did. Not that I did. And as far as I know, he didn't either. But um, he uh, and I have stayed in touch through the years. And every once in a while, he'll send me something he's written. And then uh, suddenly something came along that, that Chuck had written, Chuck McLean, who's the creator of the show. Did you know Chuck before I did this? not know okay. Chuck, but they've been friends for a long time okay. since Chuck went out to L.A. And they're both out there. And uh, he had said that they had talked about me for quite a while. And he, they had me in mind for this role. Um and I read it and I said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm doing other things now. I'm, I'm out of the business, uh, you know, entirely um, retired, you know. Uh, but I was raising money for nonprofits and, and that were based in the Boston area. And I had work and I had a day job and wearing a suit and tie into the office every day. And, and, and Jimmy knew that, but he's a guy who he raises money for films. And, and yeah. aside from being an actor, he's a producer. But um, he convinced me uh, over three conversations to to read this thing and once i did uh it, it you know the decision made itself i mean he he said it, you know he kind of sold it to me as like yeah this is a recurring role it's like a pickup basketball game once a week we'll only call you if you, they need you you know it's every yeah, once yeah. in a while you know it's this thing uh, that you you know you can do on the side keep your day job <laughs> well it yeah. didn't turn out to be the case about a month later i i, I read it and it was one of the best things easily that I've ever read, um, just the colorful language and everything else. And it was clear that that Chuck knows Boston, that he's yeah, totally. from here. And, and, and he uh, he just nailed it. And it was not a Hollywood version of it. It wasn't pretending to be something it isn't. It, it was just very honest in the stuff that happens in the homes and on the streets, things that were uh, very familiar to me. And I just said, finally, there's, there's one out there that's really going to tell who these people are, aside from what they do, that's yeah. bad. You know that who yeah. who they are and what the pressures are under. You know, not and not making excuses for it all too. So it was really interesting from that angle. Yeah. Um, and then you know I just said yeah I'll, I'll go on tape and they called me a month later and for some reason the, the lines from the show, I, I think every scene I think there are four four or five scenes from one reading just were in my head. I mean it was off book for this thing when it came around. It was, they say can you come in the next day. And I, I went and I, I didn't know what to study for a thing. I knew the lines, uh, kind yeah. of word for word. It's, you know, with well-written stuff, yeah, do you find that's the case, totally, right? If it's well-written, I, I don't have yeah. to really work as hard with uh, the lines. And if it's really not well-written, it's really yeah. uh, it's You got to do the work, yeah. But, but yeah. so, you know, I've heard, I've experienced this before, and I'm sure you have. A lot of times people say, oh, I got this thing for you, and I wrote this thing, and it all seems like a sure thing. And then as it gets closer and closer, it ends up not being. Right. So right. did you have that? Was there ever a point where it was like, oh, it's, this is your role. This is your role. And then you read for it and then you get closer and they're like, we really love you, but we're looking at so-and-so. Or was it just like done? Well, it was It was a case of over the years, I've had several of those. In fact, over that 20-year period that I was completely away from the business, um, and Jimmy and other friends would say, hey, I've got this thing. And I'd go, I, I always do readings for people if I was around. And, and, and a lot of people were developing things in Boston, scripts and that sort of thing. But I would be there and everyone would say, I got, this thing is for you. This thing is for you. Uh, and I always, I knew what that's about. The business is one thing. Friendship is another, and, and they have to go with wherever yeah. the producers want to take it. And we're you know, people with the money, you're going to get to say who's in the role. So I never, everything's with a grain of salt anyway. Right. Um, and I knew even over that period, I said, yeah, they may never call me. And they may not have called. I think Jimmy and Chuck said, hey, did you read this guy? Um, so it was, it, to be honest, it was like over a weekend. Um, uh, I think it was over a few days. I went in, went on tape. The next day I heard that, you know, um, I got a call from the local casting office who facilitated just putting me on tape for the network. It was basically my my screen test. Right. Um, all in one shot. They, they, they had made a decision very quickly and uh, it went from being a recurring role to suddenly they said, you probably, do you have a representative and I said, well, I know I have someone I can call. So I called uh, a guy who I had been working with years ago. And um, 
uh, he agreed to negotiate the thing. They said, because they want to make it a little more substantial. And he called me back. You know, my agent said, hey, this, you know, they want to make you a series regular on this That's thing. That's great. So it's situation great. changed. Like, okay, if this thing gets picked up, what do you want to do with your life? You know, when you right. grow up, here we go. So it was a decision Elaine and I made together that if it got picked up, and you know how these things are. Yeah. Uh, who knows? I, I signed for the, for, the, for the life of the show, essentially. And uh, they had my option for five, six seasons going forward. So, you know, I, I knew if it got picked up that I would have to sort of retool Oh, so my you life. didn't know, it wasn't like a one-year contract uh, no. where you knew. When, so when did you find that out? Did you find that out along with- In the negotiation, which was uh, just a- No, but I mean, when did you find out the fate of your character? Was it not until you were, oh, we, yeah. were, we were getting to those episodes? Yeah, it was until we were getting there. I knew I had, you know, Tom Fontana and Chuck McClain- broke it to me um, uh, weeks in advance of it. So I had some time to really think it through and how it was going to be done, do some research on it because some technical things happen, in, yeah. especially to my body in, the, yeah, in yeah. this show. So uh, I wanted to get that right. And they wanted to, I think, you know, they were just very gracious in the way they, they handled it. I got a call to come in and I knew at that point what a call means. You yeah. asked to go into Tom's office. Um, I was on my way back from Boston from a weekend. And, and um, so I knew that it was going to happen um, uh, for five weeks in advance of it, yeah, uh, which was helpful. Uh, but at the same time, I knew the reality of it. Even from day one reading the script, I said, that's going to be a great guy to kill off. You did? Yeah. Yeah, I did. In fact, uh, Chuck and I were at an, an event, a local event in Massachusetts. And I said to him, I said, I know when I'm going to, when I get a beatific speech that it's going to be my last episode or my second to last episode. And he just kind of smiled and looked at me and said, what makes you say that? And I said, well, he's, he's the moral compass of the show. And he's, he's a very appealing guy. Yeah. And I was already in love with this character, you know, um, the lovable guy who, who, uh, Helps steer things along for for Aldous Hodge, you know, yeah. uh, and and uh, th- it made sense from the beginning that this would be a guy who would be a target for that sort of thing. And of course, you know, going along that you know, oh gee, I'm gonna y- y- this could go that way, or it might they right. might want to keep him around a lot longer. Who knows? I I hoped I would never have volunteered, as I said to, to yeah. Tom, I would never volunteer to leave. Right, uh, but uh, I knew it was a reality. But sooner or later, that it was going to happen. Yeah, I when I yeah. read it. Um, I hoped, I think it, I think it's, is it totally clear in the first episode when it happens or, or is it stretched out to the, ne- I think I was like, oh, this is a false death. Yeah. This when you texted death. me about, yeah, yeah, this, this is, yeah, like, it was ambiguous really, enough. They're just going to bring him close to the brink, but they're, they're. And then, it's several people texted the same thing to me. Is he, is he all right? Are I you think all right? that's what it you was. Know? And then I think yeah. I saw maybe in the next episode, there was the funeral. Was it in a different episode? It was in 10. And I was yes. like, nine, uh, nine yeah. Hank is killed off. Uh, and, and in 10, it's very clear because there's a flag draped coffin, sadly. But uh, but what what they did was, I think it was in post, actually, they added a line um, if by the newscaster at the end when Kathy Ryan and her daughter Kick are, are uh, you know, at home that, uh, you know, oh, a state police Officer Hank Signer was killed. So they, they spell it out, but not everyone hears it. Yeah. Which I love the way they do that. It's like life. If you miss it, you miss, miss it. You it, figure yeah. it out the next and one. that's what they episode. do. That's yeah. the storytelling. So that, yeah. that's great. So now uh, you're, you know, I want to go back in time to kind of what got you here, but um, now you're, are you fully back in the business or are you back to doing things? I'm 100% back. 100%. Yeah, yeah. The back. boats are burned. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. You, you know, for an opportunity like this to come along for, for me at this point in my life, um, you know, it, it means a lot to me to have this chance. And as I said, the day I got the news from Chuck and Tom, I said, what, what this is one hell of an audition reel, you know, you know, uh, to have a character like this in a project like this with the people that I got to work with, yourself included, man, you know, um, I don't want to squander this opportunity. Yeah. And, and, and in all candor, it's hard to go back. I was, I was in fundraising and, and, uh, for about 14 years or 12 or 14 years on and off. Um, and that's, you know, the, in, in acting, about, we call ourselves, yeah, it's yeah, talking talk about, about 10,000 no's. Yeah. 10,000 no's for money. Yeah. You're asking people <laughs> for money and, and, uh, no one wants to hear from you, but, but it was, it was hard work. I have a tremendous amount of respect for people who do that for a living. Um, but at the same time, it's very, uh, peripatetic. Uh, you are out every year, one to three years, I think on average, um, you know, the jobs are just as tumultuous. The life yeah. is just as tumultuous as it is for actors. We call ourselves gypsies in, in, in our business, right? Um, yeah. But fundraising 
is just as crazy in that yeah. way. So uh, if I'm, I'm going to be out there looking for work, I might as well be doing something I love and that I was meant to do. Yeah. 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 So I'm That's in very cool. both feet. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, one of the big takeaways I talk about here is sitting down with all people in all different careers and different backgrounds. You realize, oh, it's not as unique as I always thought it was being an actor, being told no. It's like everybody's got it. Yeah. You know, in absolutely. Some way. You know, it doesn't matter absolutely. what you do. Maybe, maybe if you're, you know, tenured as a teacher, you have that security, mm-hmm. job security, but then you have the, in, you know, the uncertainty of dealing with, students every day than what's happening or, or or if you're in a dangerous part of your school's in a dangerous part of town, those kids are at risk, whatever it may be, everybody's yeah. got it. So yeah. you got yeah. to see it from the other side. Now you're back. I'm glad you're back. And oh, I thank do you, man. I do really think and hope that your work on City on a Hill is is going to lead to other great work. And I don't know how you're doing it logistically. Are you are you you know, up here in Boston, are you moving to New York? Are you, you know, a lot of things are self-taped now, but Mm -hmm. either Mm -hmm. way, I feel like it's going to be, you know, it'll be challenging, but it'll also be great for you. Yeah. I I spend a lot of time in the car. I go down for meetings uh, at least weekly. Sometimes I'll have to turn around and go back down for a call back and something I'll audition and they'll say, oh, great. Can you come back in? (laughs) I meet the director and the producers, you know, (laughs) Uh, I'm really reintroducing myself in the business. And that's why it was so great to play Hank and and City on a Hill. A lot of people saw it. A lot of people, if they haven't, they're interested in in meeting with me. So it's been really exciting. I I did an episode of Blue Bloods recently with an old friend, Donnie Wahlberg, who was another Boston guy, as you know. Um, So we we did that and that's going to air on October 18th. Nice. and uh, there's been a, a, a good amount of interest in sort of bringing me in for other things too. Just sort of figuring out there may be some theater coming up there, yeah. uh, but I'm hoping to do more film and television, uh, just because logistically in our lives right, right. now it just makes sense. Um, let's talk yeah, about yeah. theater for a second because I know. Uh, well, actually, let's go back even further. Uh, I want to get to passion, but I want to go back even further. So, growing up, you grew up. Around around I here, did. I Boston. grew up in Hyde Park. Hyde Park. Hyde Park. And what you uh, were you into the theater then as a kid? Were you playing sports? Were you what were your extracurricular? Yeah, I was. Uh, my my brothers are great athletes. I wasn't particularly talented as an athlete, um, and I uh, but I loved music and, and and stories and that sort of thing. So that was sort of my escape. Um, it was a great neighbor to grow up in Hyde Park, but um, you know it wasn't always an easy place to grow up to. Um, and at times, you know, it, it felt like a good place to get out of um, in some ways. I Still, some of my closest friends are from there. Like a rough neighborhood? Yeah, Southern you know, and, I, and I, I look at it like it was a suburb. I, I never knew the difference between there and, and Needham where my cousins lived, you know, 20 minutes away. It was yeah. a this beautiful town there. Uh, but Hyde Park, when I would go back and it was like, geez, our houses are on top of each other. And, and But, you know, you go into Charlestown, they're even closer together. So it was sort of on the outskirts of of the city of Boston. It's actually this actually actual South Boston, but it's not Southie. Um, it's this other neighborhood where uh, it has its own sort of demographics, uh, heavy Irish, heavy Italian, a lot of Catholics um, living in a small area. Um, most most of us are working class, you know, blue collar, no collar workers. Um, every family had their struggles. What'd your parents do? You know, were they, my, were they... my dad was a uh, school teacher in Boston. Okay. Uh, and, and my mom Worked part time at a couple of different jobs. She was a reporter for a, uh, a customs magazine. She, uh, you know, she would work in the customs tower in Boston, uh, reporting what comes in and out of Boston wow. Harbor. Um, she had just a, a few different uh, little jobs growing up, but mainly she was home with us as kids. Five of us, five, you know, of five you. kids, yeah, all boys or uh, four boys and a girl. Wow, yeah. And where were you in the pecking order? I was the penultimate son. Doesn't that sound special? The penultimate. Second is, second from the bottom of the heap. You know, yeah, it was the second last I, did, I don't know if I would I was like, penultimate, is that the oldest? It's second, the youngest? Second to last. Second to last. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't a very special place in the lineup. I'm not really representing fun. my Boston College <laughs> English major. <laughs> the only reason I know that is because I am the penultimate child in my family. Second yeah. to last. Okay. And and were, were you, like, how did the... Um, the, the music and the acting, how did it, like, at what age did it start to really kick in? Were you, like, 10 years old and you started yeah. doing stuff or playing guitar or playing piano or whatever? Or were you singing or or was it a little later? If for me, I'll tell you, it was the earliest memory I have uh, is wanting to be 
I remember watching, uh, it must have been a movie, I think it might have been Cary Grant movies or Doris Day, I don't know what it was, but people were running around having fun on, on the television. And I, would, I had to be maybe two, uh, whatever it was, it was black and white, I just had images of that, I want to go, I want to be involved in that. I want to be in there with those people playing. Huh. So that was that's the earliest memory I have, you know. Aside from uh, RFK's funeral, you know, procession, you know, after Robert Kennedy was shot, I remember that's another one early on too yeah. in '68. So um, I, I distinctly remember wanting to be in the story, and always wanting that. And I found, you know, uh, you know, without going too much into this at all, but. Uh, you know, I had a, a very intense childhood, uh, stressful at times, and this was, you know, stories, books, movies, TV shows. It could have been Gilligan's Island. You know, anything would to take me away sometimes was just yeah. just what I needed to do. So I spent a lot of time doing that. I spent, ironically, a lot of time alone as a kid in a big family of kids, too, you know, huh. doing just that, reading a book or, or watching some TV or going off into this patch of trees that were across from my house. Yeah. Just kind of so a stand. I thought it was the was woods. Big. You know, yeah. it, was, it was a house on the other side of it. But, right. You know, just kind of using my imagination. And was it just, and you don't have to go into it if you don't yeah. want, but just, just like... Uh, family strife kind of Yeah, thing. you know, I think you know, the usual kind of run-of-the-mill, I think, family stuff. Uh, you know, um, my dad was an intense guy. My mom was intense. Uh, we had It was an intense neighborhood where, you know, there were pressures outside the house that would kind of bleed into the activities that we'd get ourselves involved with. Uh, it was, you know, and as I started to grow up, you know, it was, there was plenty of drinking. Um, and, and guys getting together and, and uh, you know, having fun, quote unquote, but a lot of it would be violent and, you know, yeah. you know, kind of getting ourselves in trouble in that way. Uh, so it was kind of an intense neighborhood, um, but one I learned a lot from yeah. in terms of what I wanted out of life and what I didn't and realized that I had to make some decisions earlier than I thought I did, you know, well, you but, must have, but you must have done, you must have been semi straight and narrow because you got into Boston college, which is a, a good school. I know now I would never oh. get it. I would oh, never yeah, get yeah. I heard you day. on another podcast saying the same thing. Yeah, 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 I, 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 I absolutely wouldn't have tried. Yeah. Know, My son got in and I was like, thank God, yeah, he worked hard. I mean, yeah, it's it's he a tough one hard, to get yeah. into now. It was tough back then, but what I'm saying is you, you so what year did you graduate BC? I was I was originally class of 87. 87. And so I was uh, I, I wound up getting my degree in 89. I left school for about a year and a half and came back and started into theater. But but uh, yeah. but you were so you must have done okay in high school. Like like it sounds like you were maybe raising hell a little bit, but you couldn't have been like Totally the all over yeah. the place. Yeah, I mean, no, you and, I, have, and you I, I were you a good student. I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I was. I think I had an, a certain natural ability uh, through grammar school. I went to a couple of different grammar schools. We, in the context of uh, when I grew up, it was it was what they call forced busing in my neighborhood. Forced busing it was desegregation of the schools, and there was a lot of uh, turmoil in Boston about you know uh, African American families coming into quote unquote Irish neighborhoods, white neighborhoods, and vice versa. Yeah. The kids were being sent to schools they didn't want to. Go to families were scared, angry with each other, uh, thinking the kids were going to get hurt, and some of them were. So that was uh, sort of this white flight that happened in those days, where, where people left the public schools and went into private schools, moved out of town altogether, or if you could afford to get them into a little Catholic school, you would do that. And um, my dad was a school teacher during that whole thing in, in a very violent period of time at Dorchester High, I remember. And uh, at one point, he said, "Look, you know, I've got." Meat cleavers waved in my face. Had a shotgun pointed in my classroom the other day. Your dad did. My dad did. Yeah, and and he said we got to get the kids out of the system. And I was the last one to get into a school. We went to a little Catholic school in my neighborhood. Most precious blood grammar school. Most precious. <laughs> that was, was that name, huh? Um, so I wound up. I wound up going eventually to MPB, uh, that school. Uh, but I was the last one in the, that. You know, I, well, I was kind of a pain in the ass as a kid, uh, and and I think that reputation unfortunately preceded me. <laughs> it's hard to believe. Yeah, you know, it seems so real, agreeable. I was but... a real pa pain in the ass, yeah. and and I think that was. I guess that was why uh, I didn't get placed in that school at the time. But. Um, at least I assume, but uh, I eventually got into that school. But it was uh, a period where uh, I bounced around from school to school, uh, like three different grammar schools, two different high schools. One school closed down. I wound up graduating from uh, a Catholic school in in, uh, in West Roxbury, part of Boston, and and then I was at BC for on the six year plan because I left and was you know I was. What did you leave to go do? 
I left to, uh, I actually left because I was just, get, I got myself into a jam on campus and uh, I had uh, been drinking and I, I needed I had to see uh, Father Hanrahan. Was he around when you, was he still, he's the Dean of Discipline. Was, no, no, we had, uh, we had Dean Ryan. Dean was, Ryan, was yeah, like yeah. That. He, in fact, and I, think I did have to Dean see Ryan. him yeah. a few times. <laughs> <laughs> a paratrooper too, a tough guy, but a, a good guy. Uh, I know that. Yeah, yeah. he, yeah. And by the <laughs> way, my too. brother, I don't want to, I don't want to out him on this podcast, but he's also a BC guy. Oh, he is? Three oh. years, three years ahead of me. Yeah. He was class of 91. He came freshman year, may or may not have had a little, uh, same kind of issue as yeah, you. And yeah. then he went to Santa Barbara. He did not like it. Mm-hmm. Went to Santa Barbara. And then that was too laid back for him. And he came back to BC, ended up loving it and ended up oh, graduating nice. in four nice, years yeah. and, and loved wow, it. But, yeah. but he had the same thing where he, his freshman year, didn't like it, went away, came back. So anyway, yeah. I, I digress. I, I started, I started uh, school on, on uh, behavioral probation. Uh, here I, before school, I, t- I took my my buddies, my brother and my buddies, on a tour of campus before we even started school, and we were had uh, broken into Gasson Hall, <laughs> and the cops, uh, you know, yeah. came in, and uh, my brother's trying to climb out a basement the window. The more I talk to people from uh, <laughs> from BC, the the less uh, the more the less alone I feel because oh, I, I had yeah, a couple yeah. of a couple of things like that when I was yeah. here, and. Um, and, and it seems like everybody has a story and that, you know, yeah. that that's what it, that's kind of, you know, a little bit of what this show is. It's, it's, it's like, yes, you, you do dumb things and you, yeah. uh, you hopefully learn from them and grow from them. And it sounds like you did and you came back and, yeah, yeah. and you, so you, got, sure. you came yeah. back in the theater I, program. I came back in the theater program. I was a bio major and then a poli sci major, left school. Um, and really, you know, Father Hanrahan said, Hey, you know, you don't have to quit when I got in trouble on campus and it, you don't have to quit. Why don't you take a leave? And I said, oh, there's that? That's a thing? Yeah. And he said, yeah. And, and I said, oh, thanks. Thanks, Father. I'll, I'll, I'll keep in mind, I never intended to come back to school, ever. Um, I went out to L.A. I was back about a month later. And, and I, some, a wise person up there said, why don't you learn to act? You know, I just wanted to be an actor. I was, I get get a page job at a studio. I didn't have a car. Yeah. Barely had an apartment out there. The studio in a bad neighborhood. And I, I was back a month later. I had been, by the way, you know, a decontamination technician at Faulkner Hospital, which is right down the road. Explain that to us. Um, it, when I left school, um, it, just to you know, make ends meet, I was still living at home with my with my family, but I needed money, so I I got a job at a hospital, and it's there's janitorial services. And then there's this whole other thing called decontamination. So you, you figure what, about what that is, but it's basically I'm the guy who cleans up when there's no one left to clean up after an accident or some mess. Like in a the car accident? A car accident. Like a- you know, so there's the morgue card or, or, or different pieces of of people who are, you know, uh, injured, that sort of thing. Those What's amazing about up. that is thinking of some of your scenes – in yeah. on a hill yeah, where yeah, the yeah, containers sure. are coming out of the water. And and one of the things that I loved about your performance, and, and maybe it was even born in doing that, is that you were so subtle and matter of fact. And that's everything that I've done on the research for my role and the, and, and the, the guy that I'm playing. It's like, that's how people relate to their jobs. It's, it's their job. But you really nailed that. So it's cool oh, to hear thanks, that man. this was something that you did this long ago. So, so yeah. sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think the, our, all our life experiences play into this too. You know, having taken 20 years out of acting, um, I, I've never felt that I have left the mindset behind um, there were times where I, there were years where you wouldn't, in fact, still you, you go into my home and you'd really never know. And there may be one little tchotchke in the corner on a shelf that indicates that I am in the business. But my life is, was not sort of built around the business at all. And the kids didn't grow up as a theater or an acting movie, TV family. The, the, Elaine and I never really talked about it with them. Eventually they saw some of the things I've done on, on television or movies, that sort of thing. But um, but everything I've done, I feel, has informed what I do now, and in, including playing Hank Cigna. Yeah, you know, um, I, working in and around the state house, meeting many of the people that are referred to, um, people from my neighborhood who were, you know, I have a friend who was an attorney for someone who's mentioned more than once in the that's, pilot. That's you know, really cool. Uh, you know, guys who were sort of mob figures, that sort of thing. Or, you know, um, and not that you know, my father's a teacher. Uh, you know, I yeah. wasn't involved directly in that stuff at all, but it was. Uh, a place that I knew, 
very, very well. And so those experiences, working for the governor, you know, decontamination technician, fundraising, just kind of going about town and sort of being an operative in my own field, yeah. um, helped me to understand the mindset of a guy who has to do this for the, uh, you know, the DA's office. Yeah. So take us to, uh, you, you go back, you go back to BC, you do the theater, yep. you're, you're, uh, you like the theater program and you graduate Mm-hmm. Your undergrad from BC. Yeah. Do you go immediately to do your get your master's from NYU, uh, I, the Tisch School? I went to the Tisch School graduate acting program, and that was a real stroke of luck. I, I, I because I, I started back to school, I, I knew that if I was going to finish school at all, especially at BC, it would be doing something I needed to do. And all my life, I knew I needed to be that storyteller that I, you know, knew I was when I was two. Uh, so I, I went, and I heard that they had uh, been doing this play. I thought, you know, thought of it as West Side Story. It's this big. Broadway musical, you know, um, but they were doing a West Side Story down at the Rob Sham Theater, and I just introduced myself to the guy who was going to be directing it, Doc Marcou, who turned out to be a great mentor and friend. Yeah, he, yeah. he was still around. Yeah, uh, yeah, when, when you was, were there too. Yeah, yeah. And I, he, I did not he, do yeah. the theater program here, actually. Yeah, no, but, right, right. But yeah. he was—I yeah. remember the name Marcou. Yeah. yeah, he was the chair of the program for years and years, and he invited me to audition for it, and I, I was cast in the show. And I enrolled back in school at the same time because I was cast in the show and it was on the half year. So I finished two years later in January, sort of in, in the winter when everyone else was still Did you play school. Tony? I, no, I played Riff, Riff. which okay. was to yeah. me yeah. the fun character to play, you know, ahead of the Jets. And it was yeah. really, really fun to do. And I was singing and, well, I'm not going to say I was dancing because I swept the legs out from underneath <laughs> um, one of my dance partners one time unintentionally really? in the middle of the show. <laughs> she was good about it though. <laughs> so it was, uh, I was a triple threat. I could sing and I could dance and I could sweep your legs on stage. So I think that, <laughs> I that counts right. handy. That if counts. you don't like your scene part. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Accidental. But yeah, that, that was the only way I would have finished school was to do something that I loved. And, I, yeah. and, and then I, so I had a, I had a semester to uh, apply and audition for graduate schools and I auditioned for Yale and Juilliard uh, and NYU, which is really where I wanted to go. And I was lucky enough to get in. And I had a friend who had gone the year before, um, a friend from BC who went there and uh, I discovered, oh, there's a place I can go and actually continue to, to hone my craft and learn what the hell I'm doing on stage. And it's a three-year program. Three-year program. And yeah. you go there and you, it's intense. But, it is. But yeah. you had yeah. an, you had a really, I think, unique experience as an actor. It happens. I mean, I've heard it happening with p- kids out of Juilliard. This will happen. But you, you go through that program and how soon after you graduated or was it before you graduated that the big kind of break in musical theater came for you? You know, I, th- I think my break, uh, you know, as I said, uh, you know, it was to go to, I mean, I actually, I could say so many breaks in my life, you know, really want to go back and be able to finish at BC and, and get stage time and confidence there. But to get into NYU was a huge thing for me uh, because those are the people who are out in the business that are teaching you. I needed really strong teachers who, who, who had, could put up with my crap for three years. And um, I, I was very blessed to be, uh, uh, hired the day I graduated, um, and I know so many of my friends would want to punch <laughs> me in the face, you. For, would want to murder <laughs> me for this. But believe me, I had my my yeah. days off after that. You know, I, I I was cast in a show, a spear carrier, uh, but I got to you know sing a song also in this uh, production uh, uh, in Shakespeare in the Park uh, in the Delacorte Theater in Central Park, and that was a summer gig. It was my first. Time who was that? Because they always—it's a star-studded event. It was, who yeah, was, it was the cast uh, at that point. It was as you like. It was the play, and it was uh, Jake Weber, Elizabeth McGovern, Donald Moffat was in it. Richard Libertini. It was. It was a, Brad Solomon. It's just some really great character actors from yeah. from film. And Jake television. Weber. He just yeah. he actually reached out to me recently. Oh, did he? And, yeah, yeah, he's really good. Yeah, really, really good really guy. Good. Really good actor. And as you like it. So mm-hmm. I did As You Like It in Central Park as well. Did you really? Well, I'll explain it, though. I'll qualify it. Let's hear this. <laughs> we did. It was, a, it was a production that was directed by a kid that was uh, at NYU undergrad. And it ended up being, I, I played Orlando and Rosemary DeWitt, who is still a friend, is a great actress. 
was Rosalind opposite me, but we call it Shakespeare incidentally at the park because it, <laughs> it was on it was on a grass field on like 60th that's and great. fifth. That's and, great. And we were supposed to go on at like it was just literally just like we had a grass. It was nothing official about it. We were when we were off stage, we would be posed in these like poses. You're supposed to be frozen, and then you'd come out when it was. Oh, that's on. great. So we we were supposed to go on at like two in the afternoon on Saturday, and the first. The first day we we go to do it, we, you know, people gather around, not many, you know, spectators. And it's like, check, check, checking the mic, checking. And we're like, what is that? And all of a sudden it's like, we got a fast car. I got to get it. And it's Tracy Chapman doing a sound check for for the summer stage. And we realized the summer stage was at like, you know, they did their sound (laughs) check at two. So we had to adjust our story time for the rest of the run. So for the rest of the run, it was Shakespeare in the dark. Yeah, Shakespeare in the dark. No, it was a little bit later, but we did it. And it's actually a great story because it wasn't a very good production. But I met Rosemary. Uh, we're still friends to this day. She, I don't know if you, you know, seen like Rachel getting married. She played Rachel and Rachel getting married. She's a great, great. Actress. Oh, great. She's had, yeah. had a, a great, yep. great career since then. And at the time she was going out with, uh, Chris Messina, who is my ah, best yeah, friend to this I know. day. Yeah. You, know, you know, so it's like that, that, you know, you always get something, even from yeah. any of the experiences. A it's friendship. Like get, yeah, yeah, friendship. Yeah. Or, or or you learn what not to do or what you don't want. But sorry to digress. No, that's As you uh, like. That's you did the is, real yeah. one, which if anybody's listening, you know, Shakespeare in the Park the, at the Delacorte, that, that is the job to have it was great. in the summer in New York. It was so, great for me. And, and a, a few of my friends, Michael Stuhlbarg, uh, Jim Shanklin, oh, Stan wow. Cahill really... was a friend and, and, and a really wonderful actor who's a director and a teacher now. Uh, this was just a really fun group. Viola Davis, by the way, yeah, uh, yeah. was also, we were understudying. I, I, I think mean, it was, all I think of these it was actors you're naming, they're all yeah. heavy hitters. This is, this is our first gig. You know, yeah. We all started out together wow. and, and uh, you know, understudying and, and playing Orlando. And, you know, it, you know I think I covered Jay. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, in the show, but it was, it was a great time. Bottom line, it was just so much fun to do that, and and uh, those friendships have lasted. And and every every job you have, just your network explodes. And I, I hate to call it network, yeah. but uh, those friendships, those are the people that you want to. That you want to work with again someday, so it does become your professional network and your support system sometimes. Yeah, and and how did that? uh, So you do that over the summer, and then how shortly after that did passion come about? Because you, you know, I I don't know, you're humble, but I'm going to drop it. You were nominated for a Tony. Uh, yeah, how, I was. Yeah, how I was, old were you? So I was. uh, You know, it was a couple years after this. So I, I, I did, I did the park. Um, and I, I, that was sort of a break for me. Um, if, if anything is that, that was a break. And I, I got a nice notice in the times about that. And I kind of didn't expect to, but I, you know, did a little acting, did a little singing with my guitar, that sort of thing. And, and Jerry Zachs called me in to cover again, understudy for Peter Gallagher and, and guys and dolls it was a big, huge monster production of guys and dolls, um, at that time. And Peter Gallagher needed to go and loop a film, and for four days, and they hired me specifically to cover Peter for at least that period of time. But J.K. Simmons and I used to cover. We shared. We actually shared the same costume <laughs> with exact same size oh, wow. at the time. Um, and and I got to go on, and then didn't go on for a year. And then I covered Tom Wopat and Burke Moses in the same the same role. But I was an on stage cover playing the drunk in the show. So I got to be on stage and make people laugh every night at the same time. Twice a night, you know, uh, it was really, really fun to do, and I, I wound up leaving that to do "Damn Yankees" out of town at the Old Globe to come back in into um, into New York, and just sort of the timing of that and some other things happened where I wound up getting an offer to do "Passion." Um, Stephen Sondheim saying, and I, I took that, I accepted that, and I didn't go in with the other show, and I wound up uh, kind of changing my life in many ways, but. Um, uh, doing uh, original work by Stephen Sondheim was just something I, I just am so grateful that I had the opportunity to do. And that was where the Tony nomination came in. And, yeah. And how uh, was that yeah. a, a surreal moment for you? Was it, were you guys, uh, it obviously was a big show. I mean, it was, was, was that, uh, you're what, 25 at the time? So I, was, I guess it was about 27 by the time. 27. I so I was a little, a little bit older married than Married already? Or? I married my wife. My wife and I met uh, halfway through graduate school. So so I was uh, I was 26 when I was Was married. she at the yeah. NYU in the, in the she's, program? She's a nurse. Oh, oh, she's right, a right. nurse in okay. Boston. Yeah, a cardiac nurse. So she, yeah. but you just met 
Oh, you were you did not meet at school. You yeah, met while you were my at brother. School. My brother was married in, oh, okay. in 1990. I met her. Was introduced to her. We were paired up in the in the wedding party, and yeah. uh, and uh, we went on a date in December of that year. We were married eight months later, wow. and, and then I dragged her down to just outside Newark in Harrison, yeah. in Westchester yeah, County. I grew up in Westchester. Oh, County, that's right. So that's right. Yeah. Not too far from there. But yeah. the, so, I I want to. Well, first of all, congrats on that. And Thank then, you, so, man. so how yes, how long after that run of passion and the Tony nomination did you have that realization that you came home and said, "I don't want to be on the road"? Was that a year later, two years later, four years later? What what was that roughly? You know, I, I always knew that my priority was going to be family. Uh, I remember talking to a, a buddy of mine, Dave Zabel, who was a showrunner for ER and a really grateful television and. Um, you know, I always knew that my priority was going to be family. I remember back at NYU, um, sitting in a hallway with a, a good buddy of mine, Dave Zabel, who's a wonderful TV writer. Um, we were just having a conversation about what we want out of life, basically. I think that must have been what it was. And I remember, I remember saying to him, because he reminded me a few years later, um, that, I, you know, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to have a family. Uh, you know, and this was before I met my wife and, and before I had kids. Um, but I knew that if I had to make a choice at some point, I, I, I would be acting that I would have to give up to do that. So um, that to me was something that's always there for me. But I knew, um, you know, gradually, I think it might have been within uh, two years of of the success of passion that, and I think probably because of the sex, success of passion that I, um, that, that this came about, but I, I was getting hired or getting offers to go out, sign for a year in Canada to go with a, a play up there that'll come in, you know, right. out of town, that sort of thing. But you sign your life away and you just go. Um, but I, I knew enough not to sign for a year out of the country. Um, but every once in a while, I would have to take something to keep us afloat. And that would be three, four months in, on the West Coast doing something at the Old Globe or up at ACT in San Francisco. And I, ha I had to take those jobs from time to time. But with the kids were already there. Uh, by the time they rolled around, I was a dad. And uh, it, the, the pressure to work uh, just to support them is, is intense, you know, for any, any person with a family. Um, I wanted to stay busy, but I did not want to, you know, miss out on seeing them grow. Yeah. So it was a gradual thing, but uh, certainly, um, you know, the story of, that I have related to you, uh, you know, about coming home. Uh, did, do we talk about this on mic yet? I don't know. I, th I think I alluded to I, it before. I think we did. I uh, think yeah, we began yeah. with that. Yeah, yeah. When you came um, home and you said that you, yeah. Yeah, you know, just that was at a time when, I, because I, you know, I, I had great success in, in, in the theater, I was just doing more and more of it. And it just, the business takes you away. Yeah. So uh, that to me, uh, having that incident where my kids didn't think that I lived with them, uh, that just crystallized it for me. And I knew that I had to take action on that. Well, th that's you know. my question that I think would be helpful to my listeners who are, you know, largely going like, how, how do I figure this out? How do I, you know, I can't really get exactly to where I want to go right this second. You took, you, you know, you, you stepped back from it to go do something else that was more important to you. And then it was still waiting for you in, in a way it was still waiting. So what's your advice to someone who is, in that position where they have something they desperately want to do, but they realize, okay, there are too many things right now. Uh, you know, I can't do all of this mm -hmm. right now. I'm going to lose out on family. I'm going to lose out on whatever. What, how, what's your advice for them? You know, I, I don't know uh, if it's advice, but I can tell you that uh, I did a little projecting in the future for myself. And I said, you know, that tombstone test, what do I want to be listed first on that? I was, it was, the first is family, man. Um, I, I knew that that would be the biggest regret if I didn't have – didn't do the right thing by my wife and my kids. I had a great family growing up. My parents were wonderful. And, and uh, as hard as it could be at times in every family, um, the, I, I always felt there was stability there, that I had a place to go home to and all that, that you know, you know the, every connotation of that word. But um, for me, it was just a uh, – a matter of making myself happy in a sense too. You know, um, I knew that 
that was something I didn't want to lose out on. Um, If I have any advice for anybody, um, and I was talking with another friend that we're going to speak at BC next uh, next week um, about this, I I just think you need to make yourself happy. The notion that that an artist has to starve or to be to suffer is bullshit to me. Um, I I tried that route and and I did plenty of it. I starved. I lived on a box of six donuts, six Entenmann's donuts for a week. I, I was reeling, staggering across the street to my apartment by the end of the week from rehearsal for a show. I was, you know, I had no money. Um, uh, my dad would send me a few bucks every once in a while to bail me out of that situation. Um, and it was just really tough, you know. But I thought, oh, okay, this is what everyone goes through and my work is going to matter uh, even more because of that. It's bullshit. If you're not healthy, if you're not happy, if you're not taking care of yourself and keeping an eye on you, uh, you're not going to bring much to your work. You're going to be tired. You're going to be sick. You're going to be a drunk. You're going to be miserable to, and miserable to be around. Um, so I, I just think making, you know, figuring out what it is that's going to make you happy. And it may not be family. It's not. And I know it's not for many people, you know. Yeah. But if you, that for me was my North Star. Uh, I knew for me, it, whatever else I had to do, that was going to be it for me. And it's it's kept me working. It keeps my eye on the prize, makes sure that I, I'm working at something. If I if not that, if not acting, uh, it's got to be something else. It's, it kind of keeps me motivated to yeah. move forward in life. So what I love that answer, by the way. And it makes me want to ask something I was thinking anyway, but Boston College, uh, Catholicism, you're raised Catholic. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if you still practice, and but you, your faith, uh, where does that does that weigh into um, to all of this? Are you guided by something bigger than what's right in front of you? That's a great question, you know. And, and, and to be honest with you, I'm not going to blow smoke here, um, and I truly am not, but it's something that's come to mind each time I thought about coming to see you and every time I've listened to your uh, your podcast. Um, for me, uh, and I, I, being raised Catholic, and I, we've raised our kids um, to, to be churchgoers. Um, my wife was raised Protestant, so we sort of gone there because I, I didn't want that sort of separation. It's hardest to sort of go... To a Catholic church for yeah. Protestants, and it is vice versa, you know. So yeah. we kind of found a common ground in in the Protestant faith. But I I, I carry a lot of what I uh, am from the Catholic Church. Uh, that said, you know, it's it's a much more spiritual thing for me. Is less religious than and, and more of a, a relationship with with my fellow humans and with a higher power, maybe you know. Yeah. Um, but it's important for me in whatever it is I do or spend the most time on that there's some element of this. And I hope we don't lose people here listening to this, but some element of ministry to it because – and I and I don't always think of this. It's certainly not foremost on my mind, but it's it's important to me when somebody – if someone came up to me, I was at a writer's night and I play music and I sing and I, I write songs. And I'm, I'm not out there recording albums, that sort of thing, but I do write for enjoyment and for the enjoyment of other people. But a woman came up to me after a show one and I just said, you work as ministry. And and I hadn't ever heard it put that way. Um, and, and it just meant the world to me that I, I played this certain song um, and it was called Keep Dreaming. And she just, it's something that resonated from that song for her yeah. about a broken person who can, if you can keep dreaming, you can come out of things and heal. Uh, so I, I realized how important that's always been for me to have that that element in whatever it is I do. You know, it could be fundraising. I was working in, yeah. with partners in health, social justice and global health. That's a ministry in a, in a very literal sense. And, 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 and also, you know, bringing the arts to a community, that sort of thing. Uh, but whatever it is I do has to have some good in the world. And yeah. when I when I hear your work, Matt, in all sincerity, I feel like that maybe it was maybe we were brought together through through a TV show. Right. But I think we were both at BC for a reason. You know, I think because you're drawn to that Jesuit mentality of we're people for others, uh, as grandiose and you know highfalutin as that sounds. I think I think that's something I've seen in you and in several other people, my friends that have come through a Jesuit school or or other place, a state school. Yeah. But we have a, a mindset of service that that you're doing a podcast that 
that truly makes a difference in people's lives. Um, oh, you thanks, know, man. It, it thanks. absolutely is. And I, I read some of the comments about your show. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, and every once in a while, I'll, I'll say, I got, I got to text him that on that one. But I'm sure you're getting texts all the time. But uh, I love it. You can, you can always. Text. Well, I will. I, I, I won't been, hesitate. I you're won't getting hesitate. more, and it is nice to know. And it is funny you bring it up as ministry because there was one point recently where all of a sudden I started listening to podcasts that were like all these preachers, and yeah. I'm like, I'm like, wait a second. Have I turned into a, like a modern day preacher and this is my pulpit? It's it's just funny. Like yeah, on, on the solo episodes, it almost is like that. But I, I don't know that I even like put it as like, oh, I'm going to BC because it's Jesuit. I, I think it's, I didn't. Like, I, fell I, into, didn't and I, yeah. I don't know that I. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it is interesting just to have a, you know. Uh, some kind of give some kind of good back in some way. Can you make the world a little bit better than it was, you know, before and, and, you know, kind of always trying to do that, not always doing that, but making that the attempt. I think you look back at your life and you'll, you'll, you'll recognize it. And that's how I recognize other people who sort of have that element to them, you know, um, that, it may not be a motivator for someone, a front of mind in that right. way, but I think you recognize it. Maybe you'll look back on it and say, okay, yeah, some of the other stuff I've been doing too. I think acting is that. Yeah. A- yeah. Acting, good stories uh, do do something for our world. You yeah. know? Um, it, this one is about, for me, you know, growing up in Boston and in and, and tough times and, and, you know, in a neighborhood where people – scrambled for their money, scrambled for their food, scrambled for the gas for the car and the lunches. You know, we shared five kids sharing two hot dogs yeah. for a school lunch. That's yeah. what we did as kids, you know, many times. Um, and not everyone got the bread, you know, for this, for the sandwich. You know what I mean? Uh, the, that is, uh, those were tough times where I look back on a story that Chuck McLean creates that is about the people that I grew up with and that I loved and yeah. cared about. And it, that's it, what's cool is that yeah. that feedback has been, I've heard it from so many people that they said, I almost liked the, the bank robbers better in a lot of ways because they understood like, well, they were, what they were doing was heinous, but they felt like they saw... I think the the show did a good job of of showing you both sides of the law and mm-hmm. realizing that there's black and white on both sides. You know, yeah. but they they both sides are brutal, and both sides are also uh, trying to do some good. But there's a, there's a I mean, really, you know, Bacon's character might be the worst <laughs> of all. Of them. He's, yeah, and he's you know, supposed to be wearing a white hat. He, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he said that, you know, and then the Ryan brothers actually have, yeah. uh, you know, you feel like, oh, I, I see what their motivation is. I see what it is. It doesn't justify it, but mm, it right. helps it. It to your point of a, a TV show or a movie. Uh, helping in some way, it, it helps people maybe look at someone uh, across the street and go, "Oh, okay, they're they're not. I'm not going to just judge them right away. Let's see what their yeah. uh, what's what their circumstances really are. You see their humanity. I want to ask you three questions before I let you go. <laughs> sure thing. Um, first one: the, the word "no" actually means what? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, I've had no many times in my life, and you know, in the work I've done as an actor, or you know, raising money for a, for a hospital, or you know, uh, for folks in, in Haiti, Rwanda, that's sort of, it, it means not yet. Most of the time, sometimes it's not from that person. You know, uh, I'm not going to get this job in that way. I'm not going to get to express myself as an as an artist in this project. It's either that I'm not ready for it or they're not ready for it or they don't see it, but I'll be part of someone else's vision. It's never failed me. Uh, and, and it's surprising. I, I can tell you tw- to be 20 years out of a business um, that I remember I remember the day I, I said, okay, it's time to push go on this new new life for us, That the, the day I decided yeah. we're, we're leaving New York and leaving the business. Uh, secretly, I, in the back of my mind, I said, "If I and I didn't talk about this with anybody, eventually with my wife, but I said, if I ever did come back, to this industry, I would be the age I am now, you know, and and doing the type of material that I just performed, you know, with you on the show. And because I know that's where my mindset is. That's where I came from. That's that's the world I knew, and I could say something about. Um, and so it's just not yet for me, you know. Mm-hmm. I, if I had, because I said that because if I had scored a TV show with Tom Fontana twenty two years ago then I wouldn't have to travel out of town for three, four months. You know, you know, right. my family would go with me. It's a TV show. I can bring them along, you yeah. know. So that would have solved that mathematical equation for me a lot sooner. But it wasn't there, so I did make another choice. And, and yeah, I think you, if you 
keep your heart and your mind open to something and, and you keep the muscles working, stay in shape in some way. And I taught that whole time yeah. I was away from the business. I taught uh, and coached actors, sometimes musical theater performance too. And, uh, if you stay in shape in some way uh, and you start saying yes to things, you, you know, it, 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 you can can around, it, it comes around to you. Time it, it does. You may not recognize it, but it, 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 these things do keep coming around. Go-to mantra when everything falls apart. Do you have anything that gets you through? Yeah. Uh, and maybe not surprisingly, family is everything. My grandfather said it to my dad. He said it to me um, uh, many years ago. And family is everything. And, it, and it, 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 I've, I, it puts everything in perspective. Yeah, my, my job may go away. You may get killed off on a hit TV show. Uh, you know, you, you can be laid off kicked out, run down by a car, whatever it is in your life, you know, if you've got your family, that's everything. And, and I don't mean that you have to have kids or, or a spouse, but people that you love in your life that you consider close enough to be family. Uh, it is for me about, about the people in my life. And if I'm making decisions based on that, I know I'm going to move in, a, in the right direction. And I can't, as Jason Redman says, I can't, I can't just stay on the X. I got to get off the X and move. Yeah. You know, that's awesome. Last question. Uh, if, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? I'd be four. I'd be four years old. I'd go back to my four-year-old self and say, everything's going to be fine. You know, I worried a tremendous amount as a kid. 1969, I was born in 65. I worried about everything from the Vietnam War to nuclear war, everything else, because was, I was exposed to it all. My dad was a history teacher who just let it all out there. Uh, and we saw the films from, from Auschwitz as children, for better or worse. You know, these yeah. are things that, you know, we, I, I lost my best friend as, as a kid. I lost two cousins to illness as a, as a kid, um, um, you know, and other family things, sort of shakeups in the house, intensities. Uh, and I, I really started for a long time to harden up and uh, in my mind, toughen up, sort of let that, um, you know, stop letting people in and affect me or let them see how they were affecting me. And that's something I really hardened for a long time. And it took me well into my 20s to s s open up again. And that was through graduate school and to really do good work, you know, um, and not just as an actor, but just to kind of open my heart again, uh, and that way and not to be too mushy about it. But, you know, if you, if you worry about and you protect yourself so much, you, 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 your ribs don't expand. You can't breathe anymore. You can't really feel things. So that's that, I think that process for me started when I was a, when I was a small child, um, sort of hardening over time and trying to be a tough guy, you know, through high school into college. And then finally just realizing I, I have to let go of some of my fears, about this world and allow myself to be hurt um, and emotionally, sometimes physically, whatever it is, but I don't have to be such a hard guy uh, anymore. And then that was something I, I learned uh, probably, you know, midway through grad school. I met my wife and, and, and saw some other things that, you know, I was still working in a hospital during the summers, that sort of thing, seeing people pass away and seeing the circles of life, all this stuff. But I felt it was... Uh, there was a basic humanity that I had to tap back into. Um, and Ron Van Loo, who was the head of the theater program, I pointed studied it with Ron Van Did you? He's well, amazing. Maybe yeah. the best teacher I've ever, I, I ever seen. I was just going to say, he's yeah. He's, if, in, in my experience, uh, I can say for me, he was the best teacher I could have ever had. He was incredible. And he still is, by the way. Yeah. Um, he's just turned 80. Um, he, he pointed it out to me. After my first year, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time here. I don't think I'm coming back to school. And he said, you just got to allow yourself to be humane and human, you know, just to soften, to to show your humanity. Humanity, And because I was kind of walking around like, you know, just, you know, just don't let people in, always joking, always teasing, kind of throwing a shoulder, you know, just not in a mean way and certainly not intentionally, but just uh, not being vulnerable, you know, having, a, you know, not just having a sense of humor about myself. I had to sort of work on all that stuff. And I just felt it was nothing I had the luxury to do growing up in my neighborhood, you know. To, yeah. to well, to pull it all full circle gender. from yeah. where we began, I will say you certainly have tapped into the vulnerability. And I think that is why Hank Signa worked so well oh, thank you. on that show Thanks, is he really, he was funny. And he was a he had a wise ass sense of humor, but vulnerable and and kind and compassionate. And so 
you you have you have come full circle. Oh, thanks, it's man. actually it's great writing. Even, that's for sure. Even yeah, great writing, but also it's even surprising for me to hear you say, calling yourself a, a hard guy as a youngster because you you have such a huge heart that's like out that's on your right. sleeve, in my opinion. So. Thanks. Thank you for just for for being that way. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thanks for having me. Excited to I'd see you here in Boston. Glad we could and, do this. Uh, yeah, thanks, man. Thank Jerry, you, bro. Jerry Shea, and I'll put uh, notes in. I'll I'll put links in the show notes to all of Jerry's uh, uh, social media and anything else that he wants me to share with you guys, so you can go. Um, you know, go root around in there and find out more about them. And maybe some creators out there want to put them uh, in their show. Come on. Come on, people. <laughs> Get this guy's next one. Come on. What we do here is go back, 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 back. Okay. Top three takeaways from Jerry Shea. Here we go. Number one, tough decisions. We all have to make them. Heartbreaking to hear what Jerry heard upon returning from his tour. And this was in New York. And they said, are you going to stay over tonight, Daddy? You know, they thought I was visiting. They didn't know I lived with them anymore. They assumed, you know, as, as preschoolers that I just no longer lived with them. I was gone too long. But the beautiful thing is that he listened to his heart. And you can really hear a man who has no regrets about this decision. No one ever said it was going to be easy, but only you can decide what's right for you. Number two, don't let your job define you. Jerry, in the eyes of the world... The people who knew him in Boston was in the political world, but he never stopped seeing himself as an artist. Having taken 20 years out of acting, um, I, I've never felt that I have left the mindset behind. I think it's important for listeners of this show in particular to realize that where you are right now is not necessarily where you're going to be forever. But if you want to be prepared when an opportunity does come knocking on your door, you have to at least be ready for it internally. Jerry didn't let the external factors define him. And number three, going back to the overall theme of this show, that that which does not kill you will make you stronger. Two things Jerry said about his childhood growing up in Hyde Park. It wasn't always an easy place to grow up to. Um, and at times, you know, it, it felt like a good place to get out of. That's where that drive came from. And I spent, ironically, a lot of time alone as a kid in a big family of kids, too, you know. Huh. A lot of actors spend their childhood feeling like they're on the outside looking in. And again, that's what leads to the quest. So how can you look at the cards you've been dealt and be thankful for all of them, even the ones that appear bad on the surface? And I put bad in quotes. All right. I want to thank you for listening. Thanks to Jerry Shea for sharing his story, for his humanity. I hope you're as moved by his spirit as I am. If you're new to 10,000 Knows, you should know that you can check out the links in our show notes for more information about Jerry, links to similar past guests, where to follow me on social media so you can get announcements and promo videos of who's next, be added to our mailing list, contact us, or shop for some pretty cool 10,000 Nose t-shirts and hats in our store, 10,000nose.com. Uh, that all goes to help the show keep running. Uh, mentioned this one at the top, but if you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you don't miss any episodes when they come out. And share it with your friends if you think it can help them, inspire them, get them out of a rut, or just entertain them. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.